0: I'm Rev. Harry Bridge.
1: And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast.
0: We're coming to you from the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for January 30th, 2015, and today we are addressing some of the issues of diversity in Buddhism.
1: Okay, so our next two questions from the same set of questions um, are, do Japanese Buddhists, Land in particular, rely on the Pali Canon? And secondly, are the different schools of Buddhism teaching the same things in different ways or are different things being taught? These are surprisingly complicated questions. Yeah, they seem really straightforward. They seem but, simple, straightforward. You know, I feel like we could just say, oh, well, you know, no and yes, and then be done with it, but uh, that's not true. Yeah. It gets more complicated than that. So let's start with the polycanon. Canon. Yeah.
0: I say no. And I say maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, and,
1: and <laughs> It, it depends, all depends how much you want to read mean? into uh, a lot of the words. Yeah, I mean, when I first read this question, <clears throat> do Japanese Buddhists rely on the Pali Canon, my instinct is to say no. To the extent that Japanese Buddhism is uh, primarily although probably not exclusively uh, Mahayana orientation since it's Mahayana it's relying on the Chinese um, version of the of the Buddhist Mahayana Canon more or less um, or different parts of it you know Nichiren, we talked about last time focuses on one text more or less um, for example but there's still a Mahayana text it's not um, it's not the Pali
0: Canon however, Harry disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I don't that I disagree, but I don't think it's quite that simple, That simple yeah. just because historically um, in the Meiji period after Japan gets opened up and um, that's kind of the first time I think that Japanese Buddhists really had to face the fact that there's all these other Buddhist schools in other countries. You know because japan was isolated um you know at 1600 there's not a whole lot of con they don't have internet they don't have mail right so it's like they kind of have idea what's going on even actually during tokugawa period the obaku sect comes in mm-hmm. from china um so they knew there were other kinds of buddhism but really they only knew about other kinds of mahayana buddhism and they had a pejorative understanding of the what we now might seem to like to call mainstream Buddhism you know from historically early on um, but they called Hinayana or lesser vehicle Uh, all of a sudden there's actually people out there doing this right (laughs) and we can meet them and they're at the same conventions that we're going to or you know whatever right so um, it seems like uh, there were some Japanese Buddhists uh, who really felt they had to reevaluate their own tradition and had to reevaluate what they were um, teaching, um, the, um, the roots of their teachings and everything, and that there were some, and I believe it's most, I'm thinking mainly kind of a Higashi Honganji Jodo Shinshu priest, at least one or two, who felt like, we got to look at this Pali stuff. This seems to be what Buddha really taught. It's yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, I, you know? I hear what
1: you're saying, but my uh, a couple of things. One is that I feel like some of these people weren't looking at the Pali Canon that we would think of it as today, but I know that some of them were actually looking at the Chinese Agamas, mm-hmm. which are similar to the Pali Canon, but not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're still looking at the Pali Canon, quote unquote, through a sort of distinctly Chinese Mahayana perspective, not not the polycan. This is why this question is difficult. Because what do you? What does the questioner mean by the Pali Canon? does this person mean what we think of as the polycan today, which is more or less um, exclusively associated with Theravada schools and, and has a particular um, format, you know, content, whatever? Um, or, as you said before, mainstream Indic Buddhist uh, texts which overlap with what is now the Pali canon but are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of this reevaluation of quote-unquote Hinayana or mainstream Buddhism um, on the part of Meiji-era Japanese Buddhists wouldn't necessarily have been going to the original Pali but would have still been going through a sort of Chinese uh,
0: context. On the one hand. On except, the other hand... Except that, you know, some of these people were studying Sanskrit. You know, Sanskrit, like not Pali. Right, right, right. So, right and, then, I mean, and then
1: the other thing is that there's, there's a lot of work done on um, uh, people like Y.T. Suzuki and these guys who um, recognized that what had happened in the West was that people, scholars from the West and, and Europe and America were beginning to we're beginning to associate uh, the Pali Canon with early, historically accurate, you know, original, quote-unquote, authentic Buddhism, search for origins, and we're positioning the rest of the Buddhist tradition as uh, degenerate forms of Buddhism from that original, um, Japan being sort of the last to receive Buddhism from India, therefore becomes the the, the most degenerate form of Buddhism, um, which is very disconcerting for these, these mm. Meiji-era modernists who then want to reassert the um, superiority of Japanese Buddhism, not so much to say, um, let's go back to the Pali canon and reevaluate our tradition, but to you know do the work of you know, cultural chauvinism and say we're better than... Mm. The polycanon. So, th- so they might be going back to the polycanon, but here I wouldn't say they're relying on it. The question I said do they you're rely really on reading it?
0: reading a lot into this question.
1: Yeah, I am reading a lot. It. It's an important question. If, you know, what do you mean by relying on the polycanon? Do you mean studying it? Studying the polycanon and reevaluating your tra- tradition are, uh, to me, different things than relying on the polycanon. To me, relying on the polycanon would be like relying on the Nenbutsu. Right, would be going to it as a source for doctrinal orthodoxy or for um, practice or whatever, which is different than just merely studying it and reevaluating your own tradition.
0: Based. There's one guy <laughs> who tried to live it. Oh, I'm not the, saying that nobody ever pressure. did. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but I mean, so that's that's why I just want to say the blanket no. I just can't really accept because it's it's an interesting, um, and I'm I'm hearing polycanon differently. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. I'm not. I'm not trying to be so literal about. The question and um, I don't actually, I feel like I don't know what the questioner is asking. I'm just kind of bouncing off it. I don't, you know, I think he could be asking from a lot of different points of view and mm, we don't know. Clearly. And that's, um, I'm also just bouncing think, off of it in lots of different ways yeah, and interpreting yeah. it on my so own. So it's kind of fun. So I just, yeah. I just feel like there, um, there's at least one case of a Pure Land person who felt like um, having been exposed to Theravada probably. Right and um, and maybe feeling like wow maybe Shinshu and Pure Land Buddhism missed the boat and mm-hmm. I got to go back to this um, and and yet I think he stayed Shinshu and I'm sure his ideas and I can't even tell you who it is is it Kaneko Dae <laughs> is it um, who's one of the other ones I can't because I'm not an expert on these early he um, not early the Meiji period Higashi. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, late 19th, early 20th century Higashi Honganji um, scholars, scholar priests Um, but I I just think it's kind of interesting that, um, you know the the Japanese case I think was really interesting where they really weren't exposed to a living quote unquote Hinayana school and then encounter it um, and, you know that must have just been really kind of messed with some people's heads I think (laughs) The other place where I kind of see it, and not in the sense of your thinking, but that in BCA, I feel like there's kind of a reliance on um, some of the, what we call general Buddhism, quote unquote, that, I, mm-hmm. that term I hate. Um, but a lot of it is Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path. Um, you know, and that that, um, to me, I can kind of loosely associate with the Pali Canon. I think that that's kind of an interesting spot too, where yes, there are some Jodo Shinshu Buddhists who grew up in Dharma school and in BCA. Uh, and so for them, some of the ideas in the Pali Canon might be more, they might hold more importantly than Nembutsu or, um, or, or equally, you know? Um, but I just think that, um, it's kind of an interesting intrusion of some of the Pali Canon stuff into, um, BCA yeah, that maybe yeah. you wouldn't find so, yeah, over in, I, I, in Japan, was, Japanese Honganji. So.
1: Right, so I think this is related to the next question about our Buddhist traditions mm. teaching different things um, or the same thing in different ways. Um, because I, I, I hear in that comment about you know BCA kids growing up in Dharma school who are more influenced by quote-unquote general Buddhism than they are, whatever, as sort of uh, this implication that there's some this exclusivity we're talking about about Jodo Shinshu in our last episode is so exclusive that it's become something totally different and <laughs> disconnected from the larger flow of Buddhist history, right? Um, and I think we've talked about this before, like years ago in an episode when, years and years ago, um, to the, the extent to which Shinran or other um, teachers <laughs> were aware of what we now would, in, in BCA sometimes, call general Buddhism, right? And... I don't. I don't want to revisit that argument,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. but I do think that it's not necessarily helpful for us to sort of disassociate different th- these exclusive schools so much from the mm. the general um, flow of Buddhist history that it becomes weird when we see the Four Noble Truths show up in, Shin, in Shinshu. Like, of course, the Four Noble Truths should show up in Shinshu. Shinshu is Buddhist, <laughs> right? Like, there's there's some like oh. there's some. So you're saying that
0: all Buddhism has no, no, Four not, Noble that, Truths.
1: I'm saying, I'm not sure what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying that there's some going, sort of relation there and that we shouldn't disassociate them so much. However, at the same time, this, this question that the, the question is asking about whether or not different schools of Buddhism are teaching the same thing or different things is actually kind of a profound question, right? Mm. Um, is Shinshu so different from other forms of Buddhism that they're teaching something totally different? Or are they teaching something that's sort of essentially the same across Buddhist schools, but in a different way? And so that's a, actually a really profound, yeah, yeah. Uh, difficult question, yeah. um, and you know, arguably is the sort of foundation of thousands of years of Buddhist acrimony and arguments. Are
0: <laughs> and, and um, institutional separations, schisms, and, um, new and, schools, doctrinal innovations. Yeah. Yeah, see, with Buddhism, I th- my personal answer is, I think that there many of them are talk, doing different things. There's uh-huh. such a huge diversity in Buddhism. Uh, from the founder himself, Shakyamuni Buddha, he didn't give the same answer in different form to everybody. People had different issues and he gave different teachings based on what they needed. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's kind of at the core of Buddhism, is it's extremely flexible teaching, right? And of course it's grounded, I would think, well, I don't want to say of course, it would seem that it's grounded in Shakyamuni Buddha's awakening experience, whatever that was, Mm -hmm. right? And that's been described by him in different texts, in different ways, right? Is it just 12-fold chain of causation? Is it awakening into emptiness? Is it, you know, it could be all kinds of stuff, Um, but that's what it could be all of it. I mean, you know, I'm not enlightened.
1: I mean, you know, all the different ways that he describes about, talks about enlightenment, all of those things might be a description of enlightenment at the same time, not, you know what I'm saying? Different ways, because different people
0: have different capacities, and so, yeah, so this person gets this one, this person gets this one. Or, you know, he, yeah, anyway, yeah, Yeah. so. So um, I would say, personally, I think that the different schools of Buddhism may very well be teaching some different things and coming out of different points of view. Because if you say, they're doing the same thing, well then what is that same thing?
1: Yeah, that becomes that becomes a problem.
0: Right? Um, <laughs> is Does Theravada have it right with the original teaching and everything else is accretion, so emptiness is just some wacko bunch of people who like, are making up this philosophizing that misses the point, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I don't think, personally I don't agree with that view. I don't think, personally, that Theravada has the monopoly on original truth. Yeah, and I, right? I, I want to... I think the Theravada um, is one yeah, development I, that grew out of Shakyamuni Buddha's awakening and the community right. and doctrinal innovation and institutional, all kinds of stuff. And I think
1: we should also be really... I think it's important to step back for a second and remember that... W- you know, we do this thing, we just did it right now, of equating the Pali Canon with Theravada. Mm-hmm. As if those two things are the same thing, and they're, and they're really not. Theravada is a particular school of Buddhism, which in and of itself is pretty internally diverse. There's no one Theravada, there are different forms of Theravada, who have adopted the Pali Canon as their canonical source, which they then interpret in a particular Theravada way usually based on monks within their particular lineage of you know historical uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that Theravada and the Pali Canon are the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's that it's, that particular school has adopted that, that canon. First of all, secondly, then we have this other mistake, a couple other mistakes of assuming that because the Theravada has adopted the Pali Canon and because we assume the Pali Canon is a very early version of the Buddhist teachings, that it is more historically authentic or closer to the historical Buddha. And that's kind of true in the sense that most of the Pali Canon seems to be very, very old, but there are other texts written in other languages that are just as old as the Pali Canon or even older. And this is an area of Buddhist studies, which is not my field. So I don't want to say more than that, but I just know that there are other texts out there that are as old as the Pali Canon. So, you know, there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, sort of, uh, doesn't even get to the question of whether or not we should even be worrying about whether or not we have the original teachings of the Buddha, right? Like, mm-hmm. that quest for origins is a pretty big question, and, you know, that's something that should be unpacked, mm-hmm. that should be criticized or or thought about. Um, I don't know where I'm going with any of this. Yeah,
0: I probably shouldn't have brought it up. Yeah, thanks, but, um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this is just to say that, you know, the the the, the Theravada tradition that, that holds the Pali canon as... Uh, as their doctrinal authority um, is one particular perspective on the Buddhist path, or many
0: particular perspectives. many particular perspectives right? Right. Are on the Buddhist path. Right. Exactly. Are you doing forest yeah, tradition, you know yeah. there's like with, yeah? I think that point about Theravada as a diverse there's and different then, countries, there's right. different teachers that emphasize different aspects.
1: And many of the texts that we associate with with uh, Mahayana traditions are are coming out of that same. Uh, period in India of the of the production of texts. They just didn't happen to end up in the Pali canon. They ended up in some other canon, right? So the, the Mahayana canon is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gigantic. Um, and a lot of that is m- of much later vintage than the historical Buddha. But a lot of it is is pretty old stuff. I mean, a lot of it goes back to the early days as well. Mm-hmm. And some of it you know overlaps really nicely with the polycanon; some of it diverges pretty strong. So again, I think your point is totally
0: valid. And you know, are they doing the same things? Or right? And some, I remember over the time, I hear people. You know, I've heard people say, "Is there one thing that all Buddhists can agree to?" It's like, why? What's the point? <laughs> I don't feel like I need that personally. I feel like I enjoy the appreciate the diversity of Buddhism, and that. Um, we don't all have to have one, okay, we can all agree on this. It's like, let's just agree that we're, okay, let's just agree that we're Buddhist and try and get along. That's good enough for me. <laughs> I don't have to, like, because we all have impermanence or something. It's like, well, is that what the main thing that Buddha was teaching? Is that the, the, the one thing? or? Um, yes.
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't
0: so. um, it's part of it, but um, it's one of many. Yeah. One of many um, deep insights that um, Buddha had, you know.
1: Hmm. So different things. That's our answer to that question?
0: Yeah, my personal feeling is that Buddhism teaches um, that there are a lot of different approaches in Buddhism. Some could be, be a good person. You should follow these rules and be a good person. And you would think, wouldn't all Buddhists do that? No, Shinshu. There's no set of rules that we can follow. Um, people try to put rules, and they get torn down. You know, that's not the point. The well, point even is not to be a good person. Even if you just said, "I had, you know, rules.
1: "here are these rules." Be a good person that can be interpreted in a thousand different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. And that might not be even being presented as the core teaching. It might be a teaching for a certain group of people, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what is the core teaching? And does it, you know, un, um, I think that, but that's what I like about Buddhism is that kind of flexibility uh, and um, recognition that different people have different needs and mm-hmm. different people have different issues, right? And that there's not just one thing that we can just monolithically put down, Buddha taught this.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't wanna, um, I wanna go there for a second. Um, This idea that we can find one thing that all Buddhists agree on. um, Or even if we were to say, okay, you know, boiling the the tradition down to one essentialized feature is probably not a good idea, but we can all agree on this set of things, right? You know, whether it's a dozen or a half dozen, you know, key doctrinal or practice points, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, whenever I I hear, I think about that, I always, it raises the question of me of of who gets to decide. Mm Like, like, who gets to make the decision that these are the things that all Buddhists agree on, and as a result of that decision, what gets left out? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that when we try to define Buddhism in such a way that you 're necessarily creating a bounded you know sort of limited bounded category and Something's not going to fit. You know, you can make your um, your your boundaries really flexible or really big. You're going to include as lot of stuff in there as you possibly can, but mm-hmm. ultimately you're still going to end up, you know, excluding something. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you're doing it from the point of view of a scholar, because this is what scholars do, um, we make boundaries around categories and say this is what this is X and this is not Y and whatever else. And you know that has consequences. And um, it's one thing to do that in a sort of in the abstract. It's another thing when you're talking about actual practice and when excluding people means excluding people from the the community or excluding whole groups of people from a conversation or, or, you know, sort of larger real-world consequences that I think we should, you know, think about. Mm -hmm. That was not particularly articulate. (laughs) I wasn't listening anyways. (laughs) It's like I'm talking to a wall.
0: (laughs) I mean, there's another... One interesting distinction that's maybe a little more Mahayana is does a school emphasize wisdom or does it emphasize compassion? Mm-hmm. Right? And that these are the two um, uh, main aspects of Buddhahood. Right? That Buddha, an awakened, fully awakened Buddha has perfect wisdom and perfect compassion. Right? But then the different schools run with that in different directions. Right? So is the point for me to awaken wisdom or for wisdom to be awakened in me Or is it me to awaken to the compassion that's coming to me always? They're related, um, but I think they're very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Shinran's approach, I think, is very different than Dogen, and yet they can be like these kind of like um, parallel universes or something where it's like, this is so different, but so similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and that's weird, but it's cool, and so I like it, and it's like, it doesn't have to be the same. You know, and as much as I want to, um, uh, as much as as great as it is when you realize, whoa, we have something in common. um, I personally think it's a little better to be like, whoa, you're totally different, but we can still get along. (laughs) You know, I think (laughs) that that's more um, important, right? And to be able to accept. So, so this past semester, I um, taught a class here at um, Institute of Buddhist Studies, and 12 students, eight were. Christian of a whole variety of types, right? And then four were Buddhist, but none of them were Shinshu, you know, and a couple were um, Theravada, um, uh, I I believe, Mm self-identifying, right? So it was great to have them in the class and just be reminded, you know, that, you know, I would say something about Buddhism and then they're like, well, that's kind of Mahayana. It's like, oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. That's kind of like when I'm not with non-Mahayana Buddhists, right, I just can kind of take for granted that this is Buddhism. Mm -hmm. But then you get in a room with Theravada Buddhists and you realize, oh, this is Mahayana Buddhism right and maybe someone from a different school would be there oh this is Mahayana Pure Land Buddhism or Tendai or whatever yeah, right yeah. and um, so it's, it's nice to be uh, around that diversity um, and have those people around and be able to um, still get along and acknowledge that yeah there are these differences and so to me it doesn't have to be the same and if, if they are teaching different things that's fine with me as long as they're not teaching go hurt people right go kill people yeah yeah, yeah. um you you should have sex with me because i'm the master right that's mm, i'm not going to go so far as to say that's okay oh it's diversity it's pluralism that's fine right i'll I'll draw a line somewhere i feel like there's ethical boundaries right of not taking advantage of people and not taking advantage of power your power position and that kind of thing um but setting that aside right that's kind of maybe a different issue um maybe maybe yeah
1: Definitely a different episode.
0: Yeah. (laughs)